passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, alongside the man you love, waiting. Encore for waiting. I'll figure this whole thing out eventually. That's okay. Um, I always, I, I like the repeat uh, function that we have on this. It's How not the easiest system to to really do the simplest things with, but um, guys, I'm one, doing one good day time. we got to do this show from like Way's perspective because the the man the man is doing a lot, yeah. and it's, it's very it's, impressive, and it goes sometimes unappreciated. When I will bring up a random fact, and within seconds. He's got a photo up. He's got a clip of something. I don't give him any kind of heads up. He's just flying by the seat of his pants. I'm asking him his thoughts on this. Tell me about break this story down, Way. He's got five screens in front of him. You do a wonderful job, Way, as I just sit here. I mean, you know, multitasking is, is definitely a part of the job, and, and uh, we both have, you know, try to do the best with, with, uh, with the two-man operation. But uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Pacing-wise, what did you think of Dynamite tonight? fast as hell um but i i enjoyed the show because it was all very good quality i felt and maybe it was just me like i'm not keeping tabs on this it felt like there were way more natural commercials like we did have the picture in picture but i felt like there were way more just commercials to like exhale as i'm watching this show far more than than usual like we still have breaks during the matches don't get me wrong um and i was like I was cruising along and then I'm watching the main event. I'm like, man, they're going to, they're going to go past the top of the hour. And then it's, I realized that during one of these breaks, I, I was like two or three minutes behind. Okay. Just detrimental for our setup here. And then I'm mm-hmm. watching this. So, and thus I was late tonight, uh, tuning into this. So that was, that was more on my end, but I found like there was like, if I had wanted to go to the bathroom during these two hours, I had options. Really? Show. Can't wow. say that too often on Dynamite. Not not too many. It's like it's uh you know, you gotta do your business before and after, but not during Well well I can only speak from my perspective as somebody, you know, who who reviews the show, but I I did not find any break during okay. the show. Um, you know, usually like if a segment ends, I have to really collect my thoughts, I have to write them down. And by the time I'm done digesting my thoughts, it's right back to the next interview that I have to watch and take notes for. And then it's on to the next segment. And so often I'm holding on to my thoughts. 
from the prior segment while I'm trying to take notes for what I'm watching at the same time because this this thing is just it's a very dense show that packs everything together. But um, but you know, again, they, they're not booking for people like you and I. Like they're booking the show for people that are just watching it and enjoying it. And I, I would contend for most people, they probably had a very good experience. We also had about 16, and I'm not exaggerating, announcements from Excalibur before the main event for our next three shows between Rampage, Final Battle, and Winter is Coming. So, Hey, we're, we're building two different promotions here, you know, and, and the man has to do it all within 30 seconds. Yeah. They need to put oh. out a, an Excalibur lozenge. I think that would do extremely well. A lozenge? You think he uses lozenges? I would think he would need one after yelling these things out and then calling a main event afterwards, and then he's got to call Rampage hmm. after this, and he's doing dark matches. I mean, this guy, these taping days, not a not a walk in the park for Excalibur. No, not at all. I wouldn't um, want to talk for days after one of these tapings. Be like, maybe uh, he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Like, maybe he's completely quiet at home. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just a few steps away from, like, calling those uh, 37-match marathons at the War Memorial that the WWF used to hold. I was going to say, yeah, long, long tapings and extended um, sessions are, are nothing new to a professional wrestling broadcaster, as you and I discussed this week on Rewind Away. A very fun edition of Rewind Away, going back 30 years to May of 1992 to chat about... Uh, an episode of Superstars that encompassed the arrival of Nails and his destruction of the Big Boss Man. We had the remnants of Sergeant Slaughter's electrocution as he is uh, battling back to gain revenge on the Mountie, the evil Canadian cop. And then, of course, the the update on the Ultimate Warrior and how he is faring against this curse that has been placed upon him by Papa Shango, Charles Wright. You All know, of this when, on one show. I mean, it was just yeah. um, uh, just talk about dense. Um, it was the perfect amalgamation of all things WWF 1992 here in this one visual. Yeah, um, you know, when Robert Rocky chose this show, I didn't know if I was looking forward to it that much. I mean, it's just like, oh, okay, it's an addition of superstars, some like a bunch of cartoonish gimmicks. But like watching it, I always enjoy watching WWF superstars. It's it's like I mean, as an adult, you know, like there's it's just so. First of all, it's very nostalgic, so there's that too. But it's also just like very light. You don't have to like pay so much attention to really kind of get the storylines. But and everything on it is so incredibly colorful, either ridiculous or just incredibly fun. So, um, and that was certainly the case with this one because there was a lot of this that was ridiculous and also fun. So we have a whole review of that show and a catch up on the time period as well, looking at some of the headlines from that week in 1992, including uh, Bill Watts' new commandments that he has for the talent in WCW. We talk about uh, SummerSlam's location being locked down, the early the early reports on the Razor Ramon character in WWF before he had made it to television, and the doll that would become Rocco. In its first incarnation as Freckles, all of this, plus a Don Owen shutting down the Portland Territory, a lot going on in this week in history in professional wrestling, but uh, all roads lead to nails. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, people's feet getting lit on fire. That is right. One, um, uh, who is it? 
Brian Breger. Was that the, Brian the gentleman's Breger. name? That is correct. Yes. We get also uh, enhancement talent, including Dwayne Gill and the future headbanger thrasher, Glenn Ruth, in action on this episode of Superstars. So runs the gamut. Uh, so a precursor. We got a headbanger. We got Gilberg. And we got the Godfather on this show, among others. And uh, and a prior incarnation of Big Boss Man, who would, uh, you know, update his look in the Attitude Era. You never know who's going to show up on WWF Superstars. That's right. Okay, so you can catch that. Rewind away. Uh, it's up. PostWrestlingCafe.com. Uh, $6. Every level, you get access to our bonus shows, uh, which we have three of this week. We will have Rewind to SmackDown Friday night as Rampage looks to uh, uh, shake things up, and we will talk about that later. And then Saturday night, another post show for patrons. It is the final battle post show. Kate and Way will be running through Saturday's card from Texas that is now up to, I believe, seven matches. We'll go through the card after the Dynamite review, uh, headlined by Chris Jericho and Claudio Castagnoli. And now a double dog collar match between FTR and the Briscoes. I mean, mm-hmm. could they have just come on and said, everyone is going to bleed? That's pretty much what this match could have been billed as um, for Saturday night, uh, the third installment of the FTR Briscoe series of 2022. I'm hyped. Honestly, uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that match announcement, but it was to me the exact thing a show like this needed. All right. All of that uh, can be found postwrestling.com. We will also have a UFC 282 post show this weekend and the NXT deadline post show. Braden Davey will be going live here on this channel, youtube.com slash postwrestling. You can subscribe, get notified whenever there is a live show going on, but they will be live uh, late Saturday night after deadline to talk about whether the new day are the new NXT Tag Team Champions or not. Mm-hmm. That, that is correct. The New Day making an appearance. And also the Iron Survivor... Challenge. Like a challenge, yes. The ISC, the Iron Survivor Challenge. Will this be the only Iron Survivor Challenge uh, matches that will take place ever? You know, it's a real proof of concept that, that, that probably has to be successful. So we'll hear Poison Rana's Davey and Braden talk about it as up next moves to the post-wrestling feed. But of course, Poison Rana starting their own thing, very, very busy themselves. So stay subscribed to Up Next. They are now known as Poison Rana. There we go. All right. Let's talk a bit about uh, Tony Khan. He held a call with the media on Wednesday, a very noteworthy call. And he spent the first like 20 minutes of the call kind of doing a catch up on what his personal life has been like the last couple of months and has obviously kept this information pretty quiet um, in terms of uh, any kind of disclosure that his mother um, unfortunately went through a, a number of uh, health issues, having two strokes and they found a, I guess, a spot on her heart, and this required heart surgery back in October. Um, and the first stroke occurred after All Out. So we go back and, you know, at the time, describing this as probably the most difficult time of Tony Khan's uh, professional career, run, or at least of running AEW, and you compound it with what he was going through personally. Uh, I cannot imagine what the, these uh, several months were like from him on both fronts. I mean, you would think that uh, work might be a distraction, um, and that was obviously a very, very difficult time, uh, both personally and professionally. So he described that it was also... During this period that his mother was uh, recovering from heart surgery, that uh, William Regal had uh, reached out to to uh, Mega, their their chief legal officer, and essentially Regal, I guess, has a option 
at the end of his deal for 2023, and he was requesting that AEW not pick up the option for next year with the request that he can go back to WWE in order to work with his son, who, I mean, was on television last night as uh, Charlie Dempsey. So Tony Khan has, you know, we have we have heard the stories of others uh, requesting releases, and it seems like Tony Khan has pretty much put his foot down of not letting people out of their deals. But uh, Regal called him, and Khan was... He had to take the call outside of the hospital where his mother was recovering. And, you know, given what he was going through personally, he did not want to prevent someone from working with their child. And he did state that, you know, he would not be able to accommodate these requests for many people, but stated, you know, that William Regal will be wrapping up with the company at the end of this year. They are not going to pick up the option for 2023 and it required a lot of work on his on on his behalf that there was a complete overhaul major changes in the lead up to full gear and stated like after the fact there was that regal mjf segment that he thought was uh, tremendous and then um you know just adding that you know this is a family first company um but did note like he is not going to be able to re- facilitate you know all of these requests if if they were to come his way so he is um, later, he was added um, or he was asked by David Bixenspan about whether this is a release that comes with any conditions. And this was really interesting because he stated that, you know, based on the wording is that he does not expect William Regal to be able to appear on screen next year for WWE. That this is essentially he's being let out of this deal or they're not picking up the option so that he can take a behind the scenes role and added that, you know, they have been extremely accommodating uh, throughout this period. So he was very surprised when Paul Levesque put out that tweet um, right around war games. I think it was the day of, and, you know, including Regal in there and, you know, kind of, kind of felt like that was, you know, he didn't really go out and, you know, say he was insulted by it or that it threw a wrench into anything, but he, certainly felt it was, you know, they had not wrapped up everything with Regal yet when that tweet went out. So, I mean, this is going to bring up the obvious question of whether, in fact, we do see William Regal in any on-screen capacity or not, (laughs) because this is a company, like, quite frankly, I feel WWE, they, like, the tweet says everything. The fact that they would put that out in this kind of delicate negotiating situation um, that they put this out and kind of, you know, are just like, well, you know, if there's a situation where there's like a pull apart backstage and Regal is one of the many, I mean, it's like, what's this line of uh, being on television or not? I mean, it's just one that I would certainly be skeptical of WWE honoring um, whatever there is um, on their end. Unless it's specifically put in writing that William Regal can't appear on TV. Um, I, and, I, and I don't know how that, that would even how would they be able, they would be able to enforce that. You know, like he's they're not picking up the option, which means he would be f- completely free to do whatever he wanted with his career. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conditional release. So it's you know, it's like you are getting this release based on like you are leaving for this. It, it, it kind of reminds me of. When Lex Luger wanted to get out of his WCW deal and said, like, I'm going off, I'm not going to go do wrestling for and he couldn't do it for a year because and then signed the WBF deal. So it was like this workaround that he could not wrestle for WWF. That was part of his release from WCW. (laughs) And therefore, is this this a release, though, or are they simply not picking up an option? Like, what, what is this? 
It's a conditional release. So, I mean, it's like we are great. Like they have the power. What are the terms? It sounds like it's a year. Like Tony Khan said next year that he would not be able to appear. So it would seem that, you know, that would be the the extent of uh, of that that period of time. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I'm certainly skeptical because unless it's it's, you know, specifically written. I mean, this is a great coup for Triple H to be able to bring somebody directly off of a prominent AEW TV storyline onto his television show to be able to say, we got one of those then. Um, but I mean, of course, you know, you, you have to wonder if, if Regal himself, knowing the extenuating circumstances um, that, that were granted, you know, uh, uh, this, uh, what sounds like a real privilege for him to be able to exit. His, his AEW role is like, listen, AEW doesn't need to favorite. do this. I, and I, I can oh. honestly state that if I was in that position, I don't think I would be, after that tweet and everything like that, it's like, you know, I understand a father wants to work with his son, but you know what? That same company let you go and we brought you in and we have hardly misused you. I mean, if the people brought in, you could state William Regal has been front and center on every week's programming and they picked him up when, you know, there were very limited options for William Regal at that stage of his career a year ago. And, you know, you're in the middle of a war. I don't know if I would be that um if I would acquiesce to that level. So it's, I, I don't think the other way around that it would be necessary that we, we would see this reciprocated. Yeah. I, you know, but it, it, and another, another interesting question would be if, um, if Tony Khan hadn't made this story public, you know, the circumstances surrounding Regal's release public, um, would that have maybe, um, maybe loosened the pressure for, for, um, Paul Levesque or Triple H to uh, use Regal because I think using Regal now will make Levesque look bad to the hardcore audience. You know, the audience that's aware and and, and the audience that has heard Tony Khan describe this move as sort of like a very, you know, sort of sympathetic type of move that he was doing almost as a favor Um, for Hunter to just put him on TV after that would very clearly paint him as a bad guy in the situation, taking advantage of somebody else's goodwill. Um, so I thought, I mean, it's, 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 it's very nice to see like Tony, I think, um, actually be so upfront with the media. Um, and obviously like our thoughts are with his, uh, family as, as his mom makes a recovery from a very serious situation. So who he did state, that is doing better. She's she's at mm-hmm. home. She's recovering. So that that was just the um you know the, the latest information. And absolutely, we wish we wish our best to their their family. Yeah, but it was it was at least a bit of refreshing to like get some real clarity on a situation for once. It, that that has to do with AEW rather than just having reporters and the audience. You know, just kind of bat around with with a lot of like little bits of information and trying to piece things together. Um, were you satisfied with this conference call? I thought so. I thought like there was a lot of news out of out of this show, uh, out of this call. I mean, addressing the Regal thing, and it was, and he wasn't even prompted. Like he wanted to get all of this out at the beginning. Like it was, um, and he he had stated as much about you know that it would be addressed on the call regarding Regal, and then you had the angle tonight that seemed to be the official write off of Regal that they did. We'll, we'll talk about that more during during the show. Um, mm-hmm. But some other. Notes. Obviously, the Regal stuff was the the most uh, focused upon in the call, but he also teased that there would be some announcement regarding ROH's um, television future uh, that he was not going to answer on the call, but would talk about Saturday night, um, whether it's going to be a streaming deal or 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 not. Um, 
you know, he certainly indicated like he's at least going to address it Saturday night of what is coming up for ROH in in the new year, but stated that after this week, he would be focusing less on ROH on AEW programming. So for those that feel like there has been uh, too much focus on it, like that seems like it is going to be greatly diminished after they get through this pay-per-view cycle. Um, Brandon Thurston asked about um, Friday's very low number for Rampage, and, you know, Tony Khan did not deflect or try to defend the um, you know what rampage is he said he's looking to put on strong matches he expects a big card this week and it's time to put all hands on deck on friday so i mean that's all you can say at this point like it's a show that needs something uh, but now it's it's going to be what 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 are those elements you do and and whether that audience is going to come back um, I think they have their work cut out for them for Rampage. It's not going to be a one-week fix. It's going to have to be something that is a pattern over time to build that show up. But you know, for, for their sake, hopefully Friday was rock bottom because I can't fathom them doing lower than a .08 on, on, on Friday night. Well, their answer to it, at least in, in the immediate aftermath, was to put John Moxley versus Konosuke Takeshita on that show. Um, it's still, a, I would say, a, a match that is very much catered towards the hardcores. No story, not even really a promo from Takeshita. But, I mean, is that going to be enough? You know, is Rampage going to continue to be catered towards maybe the more diehard fan who really likes, uh, for instance, a, a, the sound of a Takeshita match without much build to it? Um, it I th- definitely think having Mox on will make a difference. But will it be a significant difference? We'll see. I thought they should have announced a promo with the elite. Like there was none of that. They weren't on, on dynamite at all. I think just having them just, even if it's a, if it's a tape thing um, to have them on Friday, like to have that best of seven series, I think you need to hear from them or, or do something. And that puts three of your big stars on rampage. But we know what promos are like on AEW Rampage, right? Like they're they're they tend to be like video packages. Anytime they advertise, well, they don't have we to will be. hear from. Yeah, they could be an in ring segment. You're right. Yeah, but like I, now it, is the time that you kind of just rip out the weeds and look at how this show is being constructed because this is not working. This is not working. There's nothing that we have to be faithful to on the the format of Rampage. I think now is the time you experiment and you try different things. It was interesting for me to hear him him talk about you know the the ROH sort of criticisms and um, it's it's been one that's kind of been thrown out there a lot by the audience about um, there being too much ROH involvement and I think specifically it's not so much too much ROH involvement because the roster is exactly the same you it's, know it's AEW it's, guys essentially it's, 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 it's more so I think the abundance of titles and then you do have like the occasional sort of like random you know roh names from the past just kind of making appearances although i don't know how like detrimental really it does cloud things and i think more so like for the audience it really clouds like the framework of what you're actually watching you know you have so many different types of like threads and 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 title lineages to really kind of follow It, it certainly clouds things and has probably in a way watered down a, a rampage yeah well, even deciphering, like one example would be the kingdom. Like, are the kingdom mm-hmm. AEW? Are they Ring of Honor? It's like they came in, they've disappeared. There's no update on them. And like, there might be a very valid reason they're not around, but you don't know that. It's just, you saw this act come in. They closed a show here in Toronto and we had, you know, Taven get a title match and they, and poof, they just disappear and they're gone and forgotten now. And they only showed up in October. Right. Yeah. He also gave a an interesting answer. Um, I, 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 do you remember the name of the podcast that he appeared on? 
um, recently Steve. talking. Yeah, it was like the Battleground podcast. I yes, think. that is correct. Where, where he kind of gave an answer about that, um, about how, you know, when he used to watch Nitro, and this might have been in response to like some Eric Bischoff criticism, but like when he used to watch Nitro, random names would just pop up and they would wrestle and he thought that was great. Um, and that's probably part of his philosophy with that, with this, you know, like, oh, people, people must recognize the kingdom. People must, you know, recognize like Shane Taylor promotions. It's just throw them on TV and then we'll do the storytelling afterwards. The problem is, it's just like, there's no staying power with any of these names. They make these appearances and then they disappear for a long time. You don't even get a chance to tell their stories afterwards, you know, beyond these sort of one week appearances. So is it because they, he has so much to, to try to juggle at once with with so two different rosters is that part of the problem? Don't know. Well, it, it, it's a lot of guys, and you're going to have you know different you know fans of performers that you want to see in certain positions. But there's so many of them that you know you can make your case of a Bandito and where where he is, or even Takeshita of how he's come in and he's been on Dark up until you know Rampage this week. Like we can go down the list. It's there's so many and you can't push everybody like not everyone is going to be a top guy. There are going to be tiers of them. But at at the same time, you're looking at sort of, you know, is is this is this the right time then to be bringing in a certain talent that's just, you know, just accumulating more talent for the war chest that we have in case of emergency. We've got we've got a bench that is deeper than than anyone's roster. But at the same time, it's. You know, if you're a fan of Jeff, one of these Jeff guys, it doesn't they, matter if 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 like nobody knows who these people are. Well, you know, fans aren't tuning cares. in for the depth for, yeah. you know, the guys that are backstage or that are just being utilized once a month. Um, you know, if you're mm-hmm. a fan of a guy and he comes in with, with a big pomp and circumstance like a bandito did with, with Jericho. And and here we are several weeks later. And I would argue that this time period, the buzz factor is gone in record time. Like yeah. it's not even a two week window you have. It's it's like seven days and then people their minds are on to the next big thing, the next big match, and whatever little momentum you have, it's it's fleeting. As far as Rampage goes, like this to me, from what I recall, it's not the first time he's kind of like, you know, talked about possibly revamping the show and I, I don't think we've seen much evidence of it up until this point. So we'll see, we'll see if this round um, is any different. The the caveat of course, you know, over the past um, several months, of course, has been everything going on in the man's personal life as well as professional life with this roster. You know, we knew he had to deal with the whole elite punk situation, but you know, having this regal situation affecting the, the Blackpool combat club as well um, that he had to juggle in terms of storyline. And, and in addition to that, all the personal stuff he's had to deal with um, maybe, maybe, you know, um, justifies some of the lack of quality control. And the fact that like he's still doing the Jaguars work on, on top of this, like this is someone who has, like, I, I don't know how he carves out all this different stuff, which is why you look at the idea of, you know, he was asked, like, of ROH and AEW, like, he is the head of creative for both of those. And that's, those are full-time jobs right there alone, but w- without running a company, without working for multiple companies. And you're looking at the idea of him talking about more content, more hours of programming and how ROH can fit into that. You know, you're, you're adding a lot and... I don't care if you're the greatest booker in the world when you're doing that many hours and it's all coming from sort of like one source. 
I, I think like you, you do run the risk of not just creative burnout, but you fall into like your booking preferences spread out over all of these hours and not having mm-hmm. sort of that variety. And you can get input here and there from your other talent, but it's ultimately your vision that is being carried out and you're extrapolating that over multiple brands, multiple programs. And I think it's healthy to have other people kind of given the reins that an ROH that you can delegate that to uh, another vision. Like you can maybe oversee like big picture ideas, but in terms of the, the week to week booking, like I, I just would not want to spread someone so, so thin when you have your prime focus on this brand. And now you're bringing in an ROH one, but it, one that he is very cl- closely tied to financially, obviously. So I believe in this call, he also talked about uh, maybe showed some uh, revealed a little about the creative teams for the two two brands and they are different but there's crossover well he was talking kind of about um that he's the head creative for both and that some in regards to the coaches like they have certain coaches that are specific to one brand that don't coach on the other and there is a lot of crossover between the two but they also do have some distinct uh people working specific to one brand and not the other so it's not just um like Ron Smackdown back in the day where the writers were doing both shows, um, even mm. if they were like designated to one. Um, and then he just uh, also noted about FTR who, you know, were victims of a lot of the changes in the booking this year through no fault of their own, mentioning CM Punk breaking his foot as one of those examples. And they have been very supportive of Tony Khan and what he has been going through of late. And they have had uh, their own challenges. So he's very complimentary towards FTR. So it, it, w- it was a very informative call from from Tony Khan. Um, you know, you had, you know, a very real life situation that, you know, he shared with everybody uh, off the top. And also, you know, addressing like the elephant in the room, which this time was William Regal. And I will add that it does feel like since full gear and the return of the elite, that the, the focus on CM Punk has, um, has gone down. And that's even with the Chicago reaction. And it it does feel less of a pressing topic as it felt in obviously September, but extending to October and November, Mm -hmm. like right through to full gear. Like it does feel like there are other things that are, you know, top of mind for people. Doesn't seem like we're we're getting any sort of movement in in the story. I mean, the man is injured, and it doesn't look like Tony's making any sort of significant decision um, until the injury uh, is over, right? I mean, he's clearly off of TV, um, not on the, the video video game cover anymore. Um, I I guess I I wonder, you know, what what news there there is really to to pry for. The only news will be if they uh, if they come to an agreement on a release and the, and and I and I feel you know especially given this regal thing I have a bit more optimism that they may be more forthcoming and hmm. and and volunteer their side when when it comes time if that is an option that they go to. Uh, let's move on to a few other uh, news and notes. Um, first of all, um, Richard Holiday of MLW did a uh, he spoke with SI.com. Uh, revealing that he was recently diagnosed with a Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had, uh, he is going through chemotherapy and they believe that he will be able to make a full recovery, but that's a, that's a very scary diagnosis to have for, uh, for a young individual. Uh, Richard Holiday's a, he's a very talented talker, uh, was involved in, uh, MJF's group with, uh, uh, 
with MLW and then kind of uh, took the reins over on uh, Fusion. But yeah, he had just been having issues where he was uh, feeling just really exhausted and tired and then finally got checked out. And that is something that you just cannot be um, uh, bracing for in in any stretch. So um, anyway, want to wish the best to him uh, as he is going through chemotherapy, which he said he is uh, halfway through the 12 rounds uh, of it. So uh, mm-hmm. hopefully it's a... It's a full recovery for Richard Holiday. Raw from Monday night. They did 1,536,000 viewers. They were down uh, 8% the, this week in viewership. The demo was actually up 2%, uh, but the story of Monday's show was hour number three, which fell to 1,263,000 viewers and a 0.35 in the demo. So the demo fell 20.5% in hour three, and throughout the show, the audience dropped 28%. This was of all the data that is out there for the history of Raw would be the least watched hour of Raw ever, ever. I mean, what a, what a distinction. I mean, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to do bad, make it the lowest of all time. You don't want to be the third lowest of all time. So that is what mm-hmm. Raw achieved on Monday night. Just a, a mammoth uh, tune out in the third hour. Um, and they were going up against Monday Night Football, although not a not a giant game that they had um, going on. Although there was the Manning cast, which had uh, Dana White on as a guest. Maybe that was uh, everyone was just flipping over to hear Dana White uh, hanging out with uh, Tom Brady, but um, not Tom Brady, uh, Peyton Manning. So, um, yeah, just just a horrible third hour. I mean that that was that was the story of the show, um, and. Uh, dipping under 1.2 million uh, for the second to last quarter as well. So it was um, that was the start of the women's three way, and then a small increase for that final quarter. But um, yeah, very very low. Right. Yeah. So who 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 gets the blame for this one? I mean, I I don't look at this as you know necessarily like you single out things. Like certainly it was like there was nothing announced that was captivating enough for people. Um, but it was a third hour that I mean we we see the usual third hour drop. Did people not week. watch this poker game, okay? Tazawa clearly had you know a lot to fight for against Dominic. Well, listen, I watched this episode of Raw, and by hour two, I if I did not have to do the show, I would not have made it to the end of this this show. Not a chance. This thing was just grinded to a halt for me in the second hour, and um, that. The culmination of the poker game and the women's three-way, like none of this stuff would have been holding me for that third hour. But this was more pronounced uh, th- than usual. Um, so so we will see if it's uh, a residual effect, if it was just a bad, bad week in terms of that third hour. And what you do with this third hour, like it is almost guaranteed you are going to – it is guaranteed. You're always going to have the lowest hour in 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 the third and and how much how much you put into that hour three. Um it's almost like you put enough that it's going to keep your loyal audience, but for your your biggest attraction, like it makes a lot more sense to be putting it um, earlier in the show rather than saving it for the end. It's like the idea of closing raw. It's kind of a, it's not like a, a great distinction, like headlining raw. It's like your odds are you're going to be in among the least watched quarters of the entire night. So it's it's where you put a match that I. I would not be putting my most important angle or match at the end of the show. That was the strategy they had. You know, they peaked the 10 o'clock hour really for, for, for your real main event. And then everything else was just, here's some bonus. Um, I mean, it was Becky Lynch wrestling. Like that's still, yeah. you know, she's just come back. So that's still, 
you know, you would think is, is something, but yeah, there was a, maybe you can blame poker, poker, not a, maybe you limit it to under, under five segments for, for one night. Uh, NXT, on the other hand, did a uh, 534,000 viewers, a 0.13 in uh, 18 to 49. And where they really got hurt was their oldest audience. Uh, 50 plus was down 26% this week. And that to me, I would look at the, um, at the, the Georgia runoff coverage, um, that was happening on, on Tuesday night, uh, with, with Herschel Walker getting, uh, not getting his Senate seat, uh, this would be a, a rare example of like the NXT audience uh, being affected by something uh, happening in the real world. So uh, that brought them down. This was their this tied for their second lowest number of the year and was pretty much identical to their lowest, which was like a thousand viewers uh, less. Although the demo didn't have anywhere near the drop of their overall audience as well. And 18 to 34 was up this week. So so you had that as well. Um uh, to go for NXT, which had the surprise appearance of the New Day on the show. So they are going to challenge pretty deadly at deadline on uh, Saturday night. Did you get to see the the New Day's appearance? And does this, uh, does this bulk up Saturday's interest? Yeah, I think so. You know, anytime you have a main roster act pop up in NXT, no matter how stale they've been on the main roster, I mean, being in a big fish in a small pond automatically gives them a bit of a fresh coat of paint. Um, for the first time in a long time, I, especially if you're a tag team in the WWE, you cycle through a, a lot of opponents very frequently. So to the chance to get to see the new day in a different environment against a fresh set of opponents and pretty deadly, I think um, at least will, will be something novel for both of them. Both of the teams were pretty deadly. The biggest match that they've ever had, you know, uh, with the biggest spotlight. Um, who went? How did they get out of this one? I mean, t- t- to be honest, like I... Like the new day after losing to the Usos, it's like they've sort of hit a wall in WWE. They're not going to lose job to pretty deadly, okay? In NXT, that's no, hard. I, I'm, I'm saying the opposite. That if you wanted to do a run with them with the NXT titles, like there is nothing holding them. Like I, I would think uh, you would do the deal where they're they're appearing on on both shows, hmm. which I don't think is is the worst idea at, at all. Um, kind of defeats the purpose of NXT though, right? Like to have champions that are already established as new day i mean if if you have an idea if it if it's if it's something where you know it's just having the new day for a month and there there's some payoff to it um where they drop the hmm. titles to another team or do a rematch with pretty deadly like you could certainly flip it it's it's not the worst idea um also uh, we have braun breaker and apollo cruz who went out fishing i have never seen a go home angle uh where they went fishing together um you know, it's a place to try new ideas, NXT. Uh, and then Elba Fire will take on Isla Dawn and then the two Iron Survivor Challenge matches. We had um, Axiom getting the wild card spot for the men's match, joining Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller, and Joe Gacy. And then Indy Hartwell joins Kiana James, Roxanne Perez, Cora Jade, and Zoe Stark. So um, these matches, we will see how they how they turn out. They are 25-minute matches where two people start, and then every five minutes, a new entrant comes in. So unlike the Royal Rumble, it's actually to your disadvantage to get the last number because the first two entrants have 25 minutes to score as many pinfalls as possible. The last entrant has five minutes to beat all the other pinfalls. So you actually want to be in this match earlier. And then if you get pinned, you go to the dreaded penalty box. 
Yeah, it's one that I have no idea how well it's going. To, like, how what what exactly is the appeal of of a match type like this? You know, what what, what is this sort of secret ingredient that the people that have come up with this have uh, came up with that that will really wow us? Because I think a match type that's been built up, you know, this strong has to live up to you know comparisons to war games, um, to the elimination chamber, you know, to to anything that that might become a, a, an annual thing. So, um, I'm I'm very curious to see new ideas in professional wrestling, and we'll see how this one works out. Fans love clocks, and you guarantee that mm-hmm. they have the countdown at the end that hopefully will be dramatic. Um, yeah. Uh, for for both cases, like you know, you're you're doing the match twice on, on top of it, which to me is always tough. When you know you do the match, and even if it gets over great, it's like okay, then we got to do almost like a different version of the same match in the same night. And you're also asking, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, some very inexperienced people in this match to kind of have to hold up. You know, they're part of of, of this act, you know, and trying to convey a brand new um, match to to, to a, a brand new wrestling audience. So we'll see how they do it. Last thing is the UFC pay-per-view on Saturday night, which has uh, Jan Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev fighting for the vacant light heavyweight title as uh, Glover Teixeira, the odd man out who will have to be uh, watching this from home. And then Patty Pimblett is taking on Jared Gordon, uh, second from the top in a lightweight fight. Uh, did you follow any of the Patty Pimblett drama from Wednesday? Um, I read your update today, so I, I'm well aware. Yeah, let us know. So Patty Pimblett had Dana White on his podcast this week, and Patty Pimblett just went in on reporter Ariel Hawani and just uh, basically stated that if I'm going to do any interviews, I want to be paid for my interviews. And he insulted Ariel, accused him of uh, just essentially leeching off of fighters making money off of them and if you want to have me on you've got to pay for me dana of course is just like the just like a child just laughing and giggling at all of this so they just made it a destroy ariel fest on their show and i knew ariel was going to address this when when he put up the the uh the picture of tupac uh tune in today for my show so it was like okay he's gonna address this (laughs) He had like hit him up showing on his like Instagram and everything. So he starts off his show and he went like an hour and 10 minutes solo addressing this. And this man showed up with receipts. Okay. Like he woke up in the morning and like he wasn't even aware of this. And I don't know what time he heard about this interview, but dude, this guy gets his ducks in a row. He had texts. He had voicemails, he had tweets, and he just systematically went like line by line of this interview and just like destroyed these two. Like stated, I have no issue if you think I'm a bad journalist, but I hate liars. And he just went like and in in his defense, I mean, they're on there and they're insinuating that he was like fired from these jobs, which was untrue. And he's never he will never pay anybody for an interview. It's like Patty Pimblett. I just feel he's like really this. This is a guy that has, you know, all of a sudden he has gained a lot of popularity. He's got a tremendous sponsorship deal with Barstool Sports. And you know what? If outlets are going to pay this guy to go on their shows, God bless the guy for taking these offers. You are under no obligation to go and do interviews if they're if you're not interested in it. It's like that's it. But the idea that a reporter makes a living doing work uh, 
seemed very foreign to Patty Pimblett. Um, I cannot do this response justice. Um, if you have the time, it's over an hour, and it's just like, man, you whatever your opinion is of Ariel Hawani, if you come at this guy, be ready, okay? Because this guy is just like he was prepared for this takedown, and it was like an hour of just carving carving this conversation up and um, leaving no doubt in terms of where where he stands on things. Yeah, I would not want to mess with Hawani when it comes to um, a verbal joust so uh, i'm sure it was very entertaining it was like the most attention like this fight has received for for saturday night it's you know this was the card where uh mjf and patty pimblett had been going back and forth on on twitter and mjf <laughs> at one point like teased showing up at this pay-per-view although they really haven't followed up in any way uh with that and um you know it seemed like those two were kind of you know, planning their own sort of idea. Both, of course, Patty Pimblett is represented by, you know, he's sponsored by Barstool Sports and MJF uh, very much ingrained in, in, with with Barstool that we've seen uh, in many times. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it would it would be beneficial to both to, like, do something that drums up interest. But they've kind of cooled it off on, on that. So anyway, that's coming up on, on Saturday night. And uh, Eric and I will be live Sunday, 1 Eastern, uh, to go through UFC 282. Very busy weekend coming up. With Final Battle, Deadline, UFC. Lots as always. But I know what you're all here for. You are ready for the Dynamite Review. And here we come in at the 44-minute mark. From Cedar Park, Texas. Um, This crowd. Bravo. Mm -hmm. They were awesome. Just a tremendous crowd. And this was like 3,200 people. Sounded like 8,000. It was an incredible crowd. uh, On like This felt like the party vibe. That Dynamite really spread its wings attracting um to their arenas like this was just such a great crowd and you when dustin rhodes came out and you heard the reception he got um and it would only be amplified later with with ricky starks but man and this was a crowd that from start to finish they were they were just hot for for almost everything on the show completely completely you could tell like i mean um the number Feels modest, I suppose, um, but they certainly sounded ten times what they were. It was um, a great atmosphere. They started off with a recap of MJF's attack last week, stating that Regal is recovering and Brian Danielson is by his side. So no Brian Danielson on the show, though we would get a, a follow-up with William Regal. Kicking things off is the Dynamite Battle Royal. So the participants include Ricky Starks, Brian Cage, Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, Sean Dean, Dalton Castle, Jungle Boy, the Butcher, The Blade, Orange Cassidy, Waze Pick, Kip Sabian, Lee Moriarty, and making his return in his first match since August, Dustin Rhodes, who lives in Austin, comes out. Huge reaction for uh, Dustin Rhodes, who has stated that next year will be his final year of wrestle, uh, of in-ring uh, action. We'll see about that. I mean, a wrestler's retirement, I, I learned not to take those um, that seriously. So they do... Repeat that the winner will face MJF for ownership of the ring, but in a new wrinkle this year, the winner gets to choose when and where they challenge MJF. They explained all of this actually last week, but it was done so poorly and like in the middle of so many other things going on and with interruptions in between that everybody coming out of last week's show was confused about what what they were actually challenging them for was the title on the line it is not um 
I thought they did a really poor job of explaining it. But I mean, by this point, I, I imagine everybody understands. There are a chance for Ricky Starks from the beginning. Uh, Big Pop, as I mentioned, for Dustin. Uh, Orange Cassidy did the spot where he skins the cat and Kip Sabian tried to bite his hands. But Orange Cassidy hangs on and then the blade is on the floor and eliminates Orange Cassidy. Crowd's furious. Then Dustin breaks out a Canadian destroyer onto Kip Sabian. Then the butcher sends Dustin off the apron with a lariat. Crowd is upset about that one. And then we continue here. Um... The boys save Dalton Castle on multiple attempts, but then Brian Cage dumps him out. Jungle Boy, who I'm pretty sure Excalibur referred to as Jack Lanza instead of uh, Jack Perry, <laughs> um, is nail air comes off the turnbuckle with the double knees to a lift. He's Brian changing Cage. both names. Yeah, like he's getting a brand new identity altogether. Yes, Black Jack Perry. Um, and then Jungle Boy leaps with a Hurricane Rana, sending Lee Moriarty out, but Big Bill. Big Bill Morrissey is on the floor. Is, and is that the new name? They were calling him Big Bill. They dropped the W. He is now Big Bill. Which Big I Bill mean, I think, Morrissey. I think it's much better. Yeah. BBW. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he dumps Jungle Boy out with a boot and then gives Jungle Boy the nastiest looking apron bomb. I mean, this guy's vertebrae looked like it just shattered into a million pieces when it hit the apron. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. Looks scary. So Ethan is uh, demanding that Matt Hardy raise his arm and Matt Hardy has to go along. But then he does the chance behind Ethan's back. Our final four are Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, Ricky Starks and Sean Dean. And like we have a story here that Sean Dean, of course, he kicked off the year with a DQ win against MGF. And then in the rematch, beat him by count out. So you actually do have a thread here of Sean Dean attaching himself and to like take this ring off of MJF. Unfortunately, that was not going to play out. But this crowd, dude, they got behind Sean Dean when he fired up uh, before his elimination here by Ethan Page. Um, the, which the was final... just like, if, if you're following along, it's like it made perfect sense that they let Sean Dean stay in this long. I think it's sort of like this final four, you know, final five spot is, is always a great place for an underdog or like an unexpected person to really get a spotlight and, and to gain something out of a battle royal and to, for, for people to create a significant memory coming out of a battle royal um, that, you know, wouldn't necessarily happen for a Sean Dean otherwise. I thought it was really smart. So Matt Hardy goes for the twist of fate and Ethan Page thinks it's a formality, so he turns his back, and Starks stops Hardy, throws him out, and then hits a tornado DDT onto Ethan Page. The crowd goes nuts. He lands, uh, Page lands a roundhouse kick and goes for the running power slam. It's the, uh, the Rock Big Show finish from the Royal Rumble, except they pulled it off. And Ricky Starks mm-hmm. reverses and sends Page over the top to the floor, winning the match in 13 minutes and 8 seconds, and the crowd goes nuts. Yeah, really smooth on that finish. Um, looked great. And I think this heated crowd really made everything feel awesome. Um, good Ricky spotlight. Starks should be outside this arena after Rampage, shaking every hand on the way out. Thank no you. Thank you. Absolutely. Dustin, too. You know, I can join him and shake plenty of those hands as well. Yeah. But, I, um, I enjoyed I, I usually don't enjoy these these battle royals, but I, I thought the crowd added a lot to this one and I, I enjoyed it. And there was um, more to come afterwards. But um, this whole first hour was about making Ricky Starks into a viable challenger. 
it wasn't a battle role where, where I felt like they tried to accomplish too much. You know, you, you had specific focuses for, for different portions of the match. You got a bit of an update on the Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, uh, storyline situation, uh, built to, you know, Orange Cassidy and Kip Sabian as well. So it was, it was clear and concise and gave you, uh, I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised, you know, seeing the result, knowing that, um, we were in Austin. It kind of felt obvious, but the idea of, um, Ricky Starks having a title shot next week, but also having this sort of t- uh, diamond ring um, claim is is also kind of interesting. Does it is it their way of kind of protecting him after a unsuccessful title challenge? He loses the title match, but he still gets the ring. It's one way to go. I, I would hate to see this guy uh, fail twice. Um, yeah, yeah. But- he's there's no reason for MJF to have the ring anymore. No. MJF comes out to the ring. He says Danielson isn't here tonight because he's terrified of MJF. And the crowd is all chanting for Ricky. And he says that Ricky is uh, talented. And he compares Ricky Starks, stating, you are the absolute drizzling shits. Or should I say, a Rudy Pooh candy ass because you stole everything from the guy. You're a dollar store Dwayne. And therefore... I'm going to call you the pebble and I'm going to put this pebble into my pocket and skip your scrawny ass all the way back to Billy Corgan to go fight on YouTube where you belong. So he just eviscerates Ricky Starks and this crowd is with Ricky Starks, but like this is always going to be the challenge is that he's going to be so entertaining with these promos that you're going to hope that the crowd stays with the baby face. And that mm-hmm. is what they did here because Ricky Starks uh, got his response and just cut the promo of his life here, starting off by calling him maxi pad and a fifth rate Roddy Piper who smells like paint thinner. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I mean, all, all, all bets are off at this point. The gloves are off. Makes fun of his terrible fake tan, his crappy shoes. Just goes piece by piece and WH parks this dude and says <sighs> that everything screams cheap. When the people got behind you I, or when the people got behind me, I gave them a reason to keep going. While you let everyone down, you let Regal down. I always deliver. Meanwhile, you went off to Greece for three months because you weren't paid enough and got out politicked by someone smarter than you. You avoid responsibility and pressure. I live with dignity and respect. I lived in a car here in Austin. I grinded. Next week is a big deal. I'm going to shut you up, and I'm going to take the responsibility off your plate. And with that, MJF just takes this all in and kicks him in the balls and goes to attack him with the ring, Starks ducks, spears MJF, and he leaves the segment holding the belt, getting... One up on MJF, uh, but an awesome promo from Ricky Starks and a round of applause to the crowd who just made him feel like a star in this segment. It was outstanding. And yes, he had the hometown advantage here with a very supportive atmosphere. Good. But even without Austin, like this would have been a home run segment. This would have been a home run promo from Ricky Starks and credit to MJF for, you know, uh, like bringing some pretty strong material. Like, yes, this was a segment crafted to to make the baby face look good coming out of it. But like, I don't think MJF treated him lightly. You know, he came in with some pretty strong material here. This crowd was chanting pebbles. 
you know, like at least a small portion of this very pro Ricky Starks crowd were still chanting pebble at him. So he had that to overcome. And Ricky Starks, like we've, we've known how good he is, you know, on the microphone. It's, it's part of the reason why I think he got his job. I mean, it's, it's entirely the reason I, th- I think why he got his job because in ring, he's great, but we have a lot of great in ring guys. What sets, sets him apart from anybody is is his ability to talk on the microphone and he completely exemplified it here what i loved the most about this segment was that it was not just generic trash talk it was not just name calling he had a lot of that you know it it was like the type of cool baby face humorous insult that made you want to cheer for the good guy ahead of the cool bad guy but beyond that he had substance to his words talking about how you know uh mjf leaving that autograph signing was simply easy for him because he had no responsibility to an audience that he doesn't like anyway. Starks talked about how when you like the audience, when the audience likes you, you have a greater deal of responsibility that you have to live up to. And the way he ended it with saying, I'm going to do you a favor, little boy, I'm going to take that responsibility away from you was just beautiful. Wonderfully done. He gave this crowd exactly what they wanted. They came here to see Ricky Starks and they gave him, he gave them, a heroic moment where he stood tall above the bad guy. And I would say beyond that, like, I don't think he's going to win. And I think most people recognize that he's not going to beat MJF, but what this feud has achieved up until this point is that it's shown that Ricky Starks is capable of being a world title contender going up against a, a, a very like, you know, a viable world champion in MJF right now. Um, and, and he's a part of the conversation and he's shown the world that he can have a world-class promo segment that, you know, you could pair, pair against anything on any show. Yeah, I, I really thought this was a great segment. And it had, like, elements that, that usually would, like, certainly, like, you call this guy like a, you know, a a, a knockoff of, of The Rock. It was like, but at the end of this, it was like Stark's comeback was so strong. And it was just like, it, it, it totally, like, destroyed MJF's point that you were rallying behind this guy uh, by the end. And there's some baby faces that would not be able to come back uh, during this. Um, Mm -hmm. But he did in a big way. And these two worked together to create a great segment and Mm -hmm. more importantly, make next week's match feel much bigger. And that was the goal of this segment. And both of these guys accomplished that. So Mm -hmm. I thought this was the most effective thing on the show. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think we could be very critical about like AEW's building of um, title challengers, especially when it's uh, the first challenger, you know, uh, in a brand new new reign. Um, I, I, I almost wish like we had more opportunity to hear from Starks in the lead up to this. But man, like, did they achieve a whole lot, you know, in this one show, giving him the title, sorry, giving him the uh, battle royal and then giving him this incredible promo segment that was even more important than the battle royal win. So we'll see how they book it. You know, like he can cash in that title opportunity, or sorry, the the ring challenge at any point. Does that mean he can like cash it in at the end, end of the match? It does, right? Because that's what um, Ethan Page threatened. Yeah, last week. Yeah. So he might potentially lose the match, maybe via cheating, and then might challenge him for the ring right afterwards, and maybe go he, off he, air with the he, with the he ring. He can cash it in before the title match could weaken him um what's the point of that though if you, if you feel you're better than this guy then he's then he's weakened and beaten and has to come back and defend the title there's no guarantee that you're beating him though like he's full you're a baby healthy. face you gotta have confidence in yourself way um i guess i guess he could do that or he could do it after 
Yeah, we'll see how they book it. Can you do it during the match? Say, I just have to beat you once? Um, I guess, yes. I mean, if we're talking about Seth Rollins' rules, right? Like, you can interrupt the match and then... Cash in on yourself. Yeah. Uh, okay. John Moxley is backstage. He stated he's starting to like Hangman Page. He fell off his horse, dusted himself off, and he's back in the saddle and spoke with his fists, which not too many people around here do. There's too much talking. This isn't all elite talking, which I just thought like the placement of this, like we were coming up this awesome <laughs> talking segment. And then we got, we go to this guy. It's like, this isn't all elite talking or the Blackpool microphone club and said that this is a big weekend for the Blackpool combat club at rampage at final battle. He's sick of the Jericho appreciation society and they'll be in their rear view mirror this weekend and tells page he knows where to find him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I get the sense it was certainly more targeted towards the JAS and, and the sports entertainment thing. Um, I also get the sense Moxley does not really give a shit about like all of this sort of like, I don't know, regal, is he leaving stuff? Um, I, like throughout the MJF program, you know, towards full gear, it, it felt like he was very disconnected from sort of like the, what the the story MJF was building himself about him possibly being babyface. We got the same Moxley every single time he spoke. It was just like sort of this like trash talking, I'm going to beat your ass type of promo. And you kind of got that here as well. And even towards the end of the show, no real direct response or addressing of William Regal, um, nor like, you know, uh, MJF turning on Regal. It was just like more of the same from Moxley. Enough of this talking angle bullshit. I just want to fight. Then we, 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 we got a Darby Allen thing um, as well. Yeah, this was from, uh, I believe, from the road to that they had setting up the uh, match with Samoa Joe for the TNT championship. Um, and this match was just nuts. So Darby immediately misses a dive to the floor and crashes into the guardrail. And there, the announcers explained that he hit his hip. And for the first time that I can recall, we had, we had a, we had a heel working over the baby face's hip and dropping him on the floor. And just, uh, you know, you weaken the hip and everything else falls apart. That's a very smart strategy. I mean, you just beat the shit out of him in every which way. And, and I suppose the hip is a part of that. Yeah. Joe swings him into the guardrail multiple times into the apron, then dumps him on the floor and hits a power slam onto the exposed portion of the floor after removing the mat. Oh, Joe then crazy. sends Darby from the apron into the post and Darby like flips and lands on the floor. He spun like a blade blade. This dude. Oh they my god! Sponsor him. Joe then catches a pescado, but Darby shoves him into the steps and hits a coffin drop off the top to the floor. Follows with a stunner and code red in the in the ring for a two count. And then Darby is getting set up for the muscle buster. He bites Joe and goes for the coffin drop and lands in the coquina clutch where he goes out cold. He will not tap. And the referee calls it off at 10 minutes and 28 seconds. This was just a violent demolition of Darby Allen and Samoa Joe was like the scariest heel during Mm -hmm. this match. I mean, these two were, I want to say like these two were made for one another, uh, Mm -hmm. but if they were, it would mean Darby's demise would be by after like match three. Cause this guy took an incredible amount of punishment by his own standards. This is uh this was a notch below the Jeff Hardy match, but not far off. Like he just killed himself in this match. Yeah. I think it was um, 
Yeah, maybe a notch below the Jeff Hardy match because Darby wasn't diving off his shit as much, but like it was him taking a beating from another man who was very willing to give it rather than like Darby hurting himself. You know, um, this was very much, I think, when they announced it for me, like a bit of a dream match without even me realizing that this was even a match that I, I felt it was a dream match. And I think they lived up to it. And I think that the dream match quality of, of this um, was probably something that Darby Allen himself pictured, because I don't think he's taken these sort of bumps just for anybody. Yes, I know uh, how ridiculous that statement sounds uh, when you see turn on Rampage and you'll see him doing this sort of similar shit. But I felt like this was this is even a lot for Darby Allen. We haven't even gotten to the post match yet. Um, I think he recognized how big of a deal a match with Samoa Joe is and what wonderful chemistry these two have in the David Goliath sense um, that they were able to create and exemplify here. Maybe the best pairing of a David versus Goliath um, that you could possibly make on the AEW roster. He, man, Joe like was made to look so devastating, you know, um, it's wonderful that he's a heel now because with him as a baby face, I don't think he would have had uh, this level of intensity from Joe and Darby was just all the more willing to like, you know, play a smaller version of Mick Foley, just getting ragdolled and tossed around. And boy, was it wonderful. Joe's best match in AEW. I thought Yeah, this, this very much was a, um, an, like an exaggerated version of like your, your, your Vader Mick Foley kind of uh, layout. And imagine Joe's- if Mick Foley was like, you know, I don't know, 130 pounds though. Like how devastating Vader would have looked even, even more. Joe's mannerisms too. Like he did the walk off of the opening dive, but then when Darby got posted and Joe's perfectly content to take the count out win and just, he's flexing, like he's just got it down. Like this yeah. is just a great, Character. He always had it. We just haven't really had like been able to see it thus far in AEW. Joe looks in disbelief as Darby gets up. So then Joe levels him with a headbutt, takes the skateboard, and delivers a muscle buster on top of the wheels of the skateboard and applies another choke onto Darby. When Wardlow runs down to save Darby, the people are chanting Wardlow. And as you're hearing the chants, Excalibur notes, this Saturday, it's Samoa Joe against Juice Robinson. <laughs> I was like, this, in a nutshell, is what is wrong with this buildup, okay? You just saw this kick-ass match, and you're teasing this giant showdown with Wardlow. And you're not getting either of those. You're getting yeah, the least no. appealing option of a guy that's not even on the show here. Like this wasn't even juice running out for, for any reason. Like I I, it just felt like such, and they might have a great match on Saturday, but if you're asking me if I'm interested in it, I am not right now. No, I feel terrible for juice Robinson. Cause he couldn't have been made to look more uh, of, of sort of a, a wet blanket than something like this. You give us something as incredible as, uh, you know, Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe. I think Wardlow coming out was already a bit of a letdown because you knew that like there's no way Wardlow versus Joe is going to be better than Darby versus Joe. And there's certainly no way Juice Robinson is going to be better than either of those. Well, I mean, I don't want to say in ring, but at least in terms of storyline, there's absolutely no reason to care. There's no story, but I I think they will have a good match, but there's just there's nothing to who cares, though. Again, good matches happen all the time. Right, like, and and granted, no story here were for Darby Allen versus Joe as well. So maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge. Like, I mean, this, Juice versus Joe could be incredible, sure. Um, but it just felt so weird, you know, to to kind of 
display it like this with no involvement from Juice whatsoever on this show. Shivani is with Orange Cassidy and Kip Sabian, and Cassidy says, "All you did, all you need is to ask, and you can have a title shot." He calls Cassidy a Clementine, and Sabian says he's hurt, so he can't face him on Rampage. But Cassidy tells him to find an opponent for him. So it will be uh, Orange Cassidy defending the All Atlantic Championship on Friday against Rampage, and I will uh, on Rampage uh, against an opponent yet to be named. Um, right? Well, it's. It, I mean, it's. Uh, oh, you're gonna. We'll, we'll avoid the spoilers. We'll avoid the spoilers. It's. Uh, uh, is it somebody to look forward to? Can you at least tell us that? Um, it's a match. Okay, so no. All right. Um, it's uh, okay. Just spoil it. Okay. Hey, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Well, I want to make sure this person showed up, and I want to make sure that this was for the the Orange Cassidy match that that they did. So I will. Uh, Okay, cover cover. Uh, so when I when I say so, uh, I want all of you who want to avoid spoilers to cover your ears for exactly ten seconds. Okay, okay. what well, it was for the Cassidy match, so it was okay. Uh, okay, so uh, cover your ears in five, four, three, two, one. All right, who was it? It is Trent Seven. Um. Okay. Okay. That's pretty. I mean, that's big to me i or like big enough to me um that's cool it's that's yeah. a surprise it's they, they love surprises of uh people off the roster i mean i'm sure okay. it's a i'm sure it's a very good match and it looks like they got uh yeah so anyway that's hmm. coming up on friday interesting Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager against Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta. Uh, Moxley and Guevara are in the respective corners. Claudio and Hager got in, and the crowd started chanting, We the people, at them. And Garcia shoves Yuta off the top, and then they got the heat on Yuta forever. Uh, went through a break. They're beating him down. Finally, Claudio gets the tag, and he hits multiple European uppercuts onto Hager. And then Claudio goes for a top rope Hurricane Rana to Jake Hager. And I don't know if Jake Hager has ever taken a top rope Hurricane Rana. And this would not be evidence that it's something he should be taking because he didn't roll forward. Instead, he took this Rana like and came down like chest first, like on his shoulder. I was like, how? How did this even happen? Um, Maybe Hager, he should be. He should not be the one doing this. This can be Garcia's Hey, man, role. after the, the Ali-Austin Theory thing on Monday, like, if the guy wanted to take a bit of a safer bump, I'm, I'm not going to... Well, maybe he had that in the back much. of his mind. So, anyway. Um, he takes that, and then we have uh, the giant swing gets stopped by Garcia. He flips Garcia. Yuta hits the frog splash, and then Claudio breaks out of the ankle lock, hits the giant swing on Hager. Guevara gets involved, and Moxley takes out Guevara. Hager applies the ankle lock, while Garcia puts on the dragon tamer onto Yuta, but Claudio sends Hager into Garcia, uppercut to Hager, and Castagnoli pins his former partner in 12 minutes and 42 seconds going into the Jericho match. And no Jericho again this week. He like showed up like he shot some sort of like handheld um, cell phone video that they edited into a video package prior to this. Are they um, doing a countdown show for Final Battle? I don't think they they stated anything on the show. I would think if they were, sure. they would have announced it. Maybe on their YouTube would be something. Um, I, I'm not really certain, but um, yeah, kind of kind of disappointing. I, I would say maybe for like a go home show, you know, for your world title match to not have like a hot 
promo segment or something from from um, Claudio, but they gave him the next best thing, which is, I, I guess, an impressive victory here in a tag team setting. It does not feel like that hot of a match to me, I have to say, by the time we're, we're getting to it the week of. Um, if Jericho is retaining, do mm-hmm. you put the dog collar match on last? I'm more interested in that. Yeah. Um, I am just, just because of like the year long kind of story now, you know, you've, you've essentially got with Briscoe's versus FTR. It's likely um, the blow off to the year long series as thing well. is though. It's like, I mean, Briscoe's are down to nothing, right? So, um, do they have that much justification for it? Like, is it a real story? But it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's the hottest match on the show. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you have to. Like Jericho has been like the the face, really the face of, of ROH up until this point, and I I think you could justify him um, closing the show. But it's just, I don't know. It just hasn't felt that hot to me, and, and it's mainly because I, I I've already seen the match before. I um, you know, Jericho's been doing great, but like I I don't know if I've had as much sort of like personality out of Claudio as I've I've wanted. Um, what do you think? I would say that if Jericho is retaining and you're not doing some surprise, like someone shows up at the end as Jericho's next big opponent that you want to go off the air with, I I would argue like the dog collar match could close the show. Like that's just going to be a bloodbath. And, you know, it's kind of, it's been the big ROH feud this year. So I could certainly see that. I'm also very curious if they announce that final battle, if they're running Mania Weekend or not for Supercard. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, who wins? Who wins the dog collar match? Um, I'm going to say FTR. I Three nothing so. then. I mean, you could have the tag titles on the Briscoes, but like it's again, if you have this ROH deal to announce and it's some kind of streaming deal that the Briscoes can appear on, well, then the Briscoes should probably win the belts. Right. Yeah. A lot if they of have an outlet where they can appear. Um, then, then yeah, the Briscoes win this one. A lot of it hinges on that, but I, I guess I also just wonder about the perception of like you know the Briscoes going down three nothing in in a series with with FTR. Um, yeah, maybe they don't care that much, but yeah, a lot of it will depend depend on the future. And like, so FTR lost tonight. You know, we're fast forwarding, of course, in, in the review, but they did not gain the AEW Tag Team Championships. Like, ha- have we ended this sort of um, Briscoes multi championship run? FTRs. FTR going, going for I mean, all the belts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I certainly could see them starting to lose the belts. If you look at, you know, the, the winners of the world tag league that should get the IWGP title shot. Mm-hmm. Like again, if, if you've got Dax Harwood openly stating that our deals might be up in April, um, right. you know, you have to be looking at that as like, what is your big culmination? And I don't think people expected it to be tonight where, it was their chance to win all four belts. And and that, I mean, this is, again, purely speculation, but maybe that maybe shed some light on, on the what felt like hotshot booking of this acclaimed versus FTR match. You know, like, did they see that this was their only opportunity to have FTR challenge for the championships to possibly, you know, give the idea that they might win everything? Are they going to start losing the championships as soon as this Saturday? Well, again, like this is all we're kind of doing guesswork here. But if you're working backwards and there is an ROH deal that does not prohibit the Briscoes from being just pay-per-view attractions and you add this dog collar match, like that would be the time for the Briscoes to win. And you go into the new year with um, the Briscoes having a showcase and this was your one chance to do it. And we like if a D- if ROH, if they got an ROH deal in the last like week or two. 
um, you're kind of going backwards. Like none of this was hinted at before. Um, so you might have been into a corner where like this is our best chance to do it and we want to do a title change at the pay-per-view. But the BCC are all in the ring. Shivani joins them. And then he airs an interview that he conducted with William Regal from two weeks ago. So we go to this video and Regal explains that you will only see this if something bad happens to me. This is like one of those movies where like the guy dies and then he left a, a yeah. will on video. This segment was like Tony Stark uh, in hologram form at the end of Endgame, plus like Anakin Skywalker appearing as a force ghost in Return of the Jedi all rolled into one. He says that he only t- he only trusts Giancarlo to tape this, which I mean, mm-hmm. the man the man has earned his uh, his loyalty. And he took great exception to what MJF did to Tony Schiavone, and he was upset about the emails. So he gave MJF what he wanted. He gave him the AEW championship. Now everyone in AEW will be chasing him. And the fact is, the three members of the BCC don't need me, but they would never let me go. So I needed to show them why he needs to go. And they can teach Yuta to be the best professional wrestler in the world. John Moxley is calculated. He'll understand what all this means. And my final lesson was stay one step ahead. Keep eyes in the back of your head, and I will be BCC until the day I die. Fellas, it's been emotional. And we go back to the ring, and Shivani says, John, what do you think about this? And dude, John Moxley, if he was hearing this for the first time, I was a believer because he just responds and he's like, you know what? We're going to war this weekend. Final battles coming up. I challenge anyone in the world on rampage. Pro wrestling is about to make a serious statement. Dude, he had nothing. It was like, I don't know. I don't know what this was. This was some very creative way to come up with, okay, we've killed Regal. We've got to go back in time for him to give another promo. And somehow this was all done for for the benefit of the Blackpool Combat Club. And it was a curse by giving this belt to MJF, who will not be able to handle this. Listen, I respect the hustle, okay? I respect the attempt to make this work. Yeah, And I will give them some leeway that I feel they were trying very hard to make this all make sense. It's yeah. not going to meet everyone's satisfaction. No. They did give it a try, which others would not. Yeah. I think we know that like Tony Khan is somebody who, who uh, very much takes criticism um, to heart. And, and this was a major I, hole last week. Like why did Regal turn on Moxley? We didn't yep. get that answer and they tried to course correct her. Yeah, with some, um, I would say pretty blatant retconning. I, I wouldn't even classify this as that clever or creative. Um, they went the, <laughs> I taped the video message in case I was dead, uh, route, which might be the best you could do, uh, up until this point. It was incredibly awkward. I have to say the presentation, uh, and I think the crowd really didn't buy it. You know, um, they didn't react that great. I will say though, there was sort of like a, you know, fourth wall breaking benefit to this where you actually got to see a baby face goodbye from William Regal, not just to the Black Bull Combat Club, but really to the AEW audience. This, uh, we we know now at this point, will be his last appearance on the show. And, you know, the chance to kind of get him to speak, to tie up the loose ends um, that, that were left with that uh, unfortunate part of that storyline. Uh, but then also to, like, just kind of tell the audience that, like, 
I'm, 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 I'm with you forever. You know, um, I'm, I'm Blackpool Combat Club till I die. I'm trying to think of some like classic movie line that in, in a similar vein. Um, anyway, it was it, at, at times, um, kind of awkward, but also, I mean, kind of heartwarming. So, Again, Mox though like has no time for this shit. He's like, I I, I don't care about this stupid story, like weird he, time. He is stuff. not the character to come back and say, I understand. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. He but cost kinda, him the world championship. He should be pissed at this guy. Yeah. Like like Moxley should not ever forgive this man in totally. character. Yeah. But I think it works for Mox though, because he's also like maybe the type of guy who like you can tell maybe he's so overcome with emotion that he just like would rather not talk about it at all and, and would therefore like, you know, just get into promo mode so that he could ignore it. So it was fine. Yeah. They like obviously this exit of Regal was not uh desired on AEW's part and they I have complained so many times especially during all those releases in WWE where we would tune in and a character is just gone there's suddenly one less hit row member these people just disappear there's no even acknowledgement of what happened so I'm not going to fault the fact that they went above and beyond to try and um, tie up loose ends here. Like they went to the fur, the, the other extreme of it. So it's, it wasn't perfect, but it was, uh, I, I will take this versus, um, you know, just leaving, leaving this giant question of why did this dude ever turn on Moxley? And we've got to do the work of figuring it out. And it's never referenced again. Like they wanted to tie up what was the biggest angle from the pay-per-view. House of Black does a. Uh, I'm just trying to think like how we could even make this like kind of cornier. Like instead of like Shivani, you saying, could have had the uh, the the cloud bubble. Like it's it's, it's in Moxley's head of yeah. like I wonder why he turned on me. <laughs> I was gonna say like rather than Shivani, he, t- just he kinda, speaks to them from the dead. Ooh, okay, <laughs> yeah, like in a puddle somewhere and like in a reflection in a mirror. He's like there, Obi Wan. I, I feel like there, there could have been like, you know, a, a videotape on like a VHS tape that somehow hidden, tucked away somewhere that like Moxley would have had to solve several riddles to, to uncover. Then he had to look for an actual VHS tape. And anyway, <laughs> they could have they could have gone a lot deeper from it for from it. But I'm glad they didn't do all that. Then the House of Black give us their mission statement. Um Malachi says this promotion has allowed itself to be corrupted and they have used shovels to dig the grave of others. It's time for the House of Black to put down this corruption. Julia Hart says the crime is treason. Matthews says the verdict is war. And Brody King says that they will tear the meat from the bones and the sentence is extermination. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a maybe there's a problem with um, mice. Um, you ever had mice? Yeah. I have had mice. It, they're terrible they're the to worst. deal with. Awful. Yeah, they're impossible to catch. You catch drip, uh, like you know, r- most poop everywhere. So, um, I would call Brody King. I guess. If you I ever, you ever catch one in a mouse trap? I have. Yeah. You, have you Have you been the one that has to dispose of it? Yes. It's awful. Oh, you feel terrible for the poor mouse. You know, they're actually kind of cute. Um. But, you know, what can you do? They're a hazard, you know, to our health uh, and our hygiene. So that's what the House of Black are going to do. Um, I think what we just did was a way better promo than what Malachi said Ooh, here. The House of Mice. Well, next week, come one, come all. 
they're in action next week. This was quite the setup for a six-man tag. Hey, I think they're still retaining the the aura of being incredibly cool here. You know, these are shot incredibly well. You had uh, speaking roles for every single member. They made Julia Hart like feel like such a significant part of this group. Um, she's no longer just you know just I don't know like an add-on. She's somebody who I think is a very focal part of the whole presentation. She makes the group almost feel whole. So um, I, I think they've done a great job presenting these guys. And we're finally going to get their actual opponents next week. She's now, uh, she's now uh, an adult. She's 21 now. Just celebrating yeah. her birthday. She's really, you know, ingested those Kira records. And um, now, she's, now she's living it. Yeah. Then the main event. Tony Schiavone sits down with Jamie Hayter. And Jamie Hayter is on top of the totem pole. She will be watching the Regina DeWave championship match this Friday, but neither of them holds a candle to her title. So th- this Regina DeWave championship established as a nothing belt right off the bat, and she will give the winner a title match against the real belt because she's a fighting champion and a bloody good one at that. A week we waited. I mean, this. listen, it was... <laughs> It, 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 it's only improving an already kind of like tough situation. And I wondered if like this stipulation was always in place because I think they, it would have really probably alleviated a lot of criticisms about the Regina DeWave championship just all of a sudden getting a, introduced on, on AEW television if they had announced that it was also a number one contendership for the championship. Um, yeah, like it, it wasn't just you and I, John, that were like, you know, um, like another title on, on, a, on a show that already is suffering from too many championships. Like I saw plenty of that reaction online as well. And it's unfortunate because, you know, Sheeta holding a belt, like I'm sure is, is a very nice thing. It's a great thing for a wave, but like being introduced in this fashion just kind of makes it feel like, you know, it adds a negative connotation to it. I think what, what Hater announced here was just simply them giving some actual real stakes attached to this championship match on Friday. Jade Cargill and the Baddies versus Kira Hogan, Madison Rain, and Sky Blue. We got a sequence of pin attempts by Blue and Red Velvet. Uh, Graze in with the step-up knee, and then they work over Sky Blue after she's trapped in the ring skirt throughout the break. Heat on Blue, then Jade, who has not been tagged in yet. Blue stops the final slice from Velvet, and then we get double super kicks. Hogan and Jade get tagged in, and Hogan sends Gray and Velvet to the floor. There's a sliding kick to Cargill, and then Jade comes back with the big spine buster. Jaded gets blocked, and in comes Rain, and she tries for a ripcord, and it gets stopped by an elbow from Jade and hits Jaded. Eight minutes and 12 seconds, and Cargill uh, pins Madison Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the match was fine. Uh, I was I was kind of expecting more from uh, Kiera Hogan here, being that like she was the one that was kicked out of the group. That she was the one with sort of like the fresh baby face spotlight, had the hot tag, and I thought like looked decent, but like it was so brief that I I don't know if she made that much of an impression on me coming out of the match. Blue, Who did Blue is like an emer- like she's like a good baby face that has you know s- something there. I mean she's mm-hmm. you know still like in her you know development phases but you know she yeah. got a nice focus in this match who who really stood up to me though was red velvet i i was so happy mm-hmm. to see her back um i thought um she showed really good heel charisma and like a level of increased aggression and confidence in ring um it, it definitely felt like she was trying to make up for lost time and i, I thought she she looked great here then shivani interviews saraya and Britt baker walks in and remarks that 
Full Gear was the biggest win of Soraya's career and that she was gifted a match with the biggest star on pay-per-view. So she hands Soraya tickets to the Kia Forum on January the 11th, where you can either sit in the crowd or we can have another match, but reveals it will be a tag match where Baker will team with Jamie Hayter and Soraya can go find a partner. So let the speculation begin. I don't think it'll be Trent Seven. <laughs> I don't know why you would mention Trent Seven in the middle of this uh, AEW Dynamite review uh, for people, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, this feels I, I, of, I recorded that two weeks ago. <laughs> this feels really early to build to a match in January 11th. Like this, this scene happened, and I was like, "Is this taking place next week? Is it taking place the week after?" This is a whole month, more than a month before this. It's got to be something big. Like, is it a big addition of dynamite or something? It's a, it's L.A. It's the forum. So, like that that is a big dynamite. Okay, I guess so. But like, when you're having to build to an ROH final battle, when you're trying to build a rampage, and winter is coming, like it, it felt like a little bit too much to juggle. Um, but you know, this is probably like, uh, like a month long story that they're just introducing. Yeah, and you're going to certainly set expectations high of like who this partner is going to be that they're giving this such a big uh, build up on here. Hmm. Any guesses? Um, I don't guess. Other than the one you made. Yeah, I, there's people we can rule out, I guess. Yeah. Oh, let us know in the comments. Rampage on Friday. So if you have not read the spoilers, it is uh, Orange Cassidy against uh, TBA for the All-Atlantic Championship. Hikaru Shida and the Bunny for the Regina DeWave Championship. Ruby Soho and Ty Mello will speak about their feud. Lee Moriarty and Morrissey in action. Athena will speak, and John Moxley versus Konosuke Takeshita, which this is not a spoiler. It sounded like it was a great match from those that were in the arena. Okay, wonderful. Big reaction in arena for it, and, and Takeshita is sort of like that perfect rampage We can opponent. put this guy with anyone, and it's going to yeah. be, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, final battle. Um we can go through the card here. So we've got seven matches announced for the show. So Jericho and Castagnoli, you're expecting Jericho to retain, I assume. I don't know, actually. Um, that one's, I mean, obviously, like, the you question know, question is, who deal. do you have left after this? Like, Joe seems like it wouldn't make sense at this point to challenge Jericho. Well, Brian, Brian's tied up with MJF. So um, I guess that's not happening. Um, they could rematch. You could put the belt on 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 Claudio, um, but again, that would like say, a say, lot of this is hinging. Like if you are starting, and granted, they could have a TV deal, they could have a streaming deal, like mm-hmm. they could have no deal. Um, that would greatly like if you had a TV deal with like a, a significant broadcaster, I'd keep this belt on Jericho. I would want to get that show yep. off to the biggest start possible, and that means Jericho holding this belt for to get that show up and running. It's true, but we also don't know like if there are other circumstances. Like, does Jericho have other commitments outside of professional wrestling that where he would want to drop a belt so that to, to free him from uh, to to allow to do? Like, does Tony have other plans for Jericho? You know, on on the AEW side of things that that he'd want. Um, I, I I feel like a lot of that like comes into play with these sort of decisions. Um, but I I, I could kind of see it either way. Um, John, I would obviously prefer the the Ring of Jericho run to continue because it's been great so far, very entertaining. Um, but I can also see them wanting to like tie the story up, give it to Claudio, and then move Jericho onto something else. 
We just got to get to Jericho and Loki, don't we? Um, I wonder if that one's happening. Hey, Chris, who'd you need a challenger? Brand new TV deal. Haven't been on TV too long. <laughs> oh, goodness. An oldie but a goodie. I missed the low-key impression, if anything, yes. just for that. The man that uh, could have been the Undertaker's long-lost uh, child or something. Did you see what? this? Brian no. Gewertz put out a tweet of, like, ideas that they, like, threw out. Like, not serious ideas, but ones that they at least discussed. And Caval being, uh, it was like the Undertaker's child or something like that. It was uh, it was amusing. Um, I'm trying to think, like, would that work genetically? Um, like, are we talking like uh, like a supernatural child, like somebody he just kind of conjured? The like? Undertaker's secret son would have been Caval. <laughs> Interesting. That means he would be related to Kane. Oh my goodness! Um, what a Instead what a, a family fa- what a family dinner that would be. I think um, Sarah I, I, could join. Yes, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Loki and Kane would would be seated on the right side of the table for sure. Would anyone be vaccinated? Uh, <laughs> I think the I think the left side would be completely empty for that particular <laughs> dinner. That would be it. It would be uh, yeah. quite the dinner. All right, <laughs> moving on from uh, that was our ROH preview. Uh, Daniel Garcia <laughs> and Wheeler Yuta for the Pure Championship. Mm. Mercedes Martinez against Athena for the women's title. I could certainly see Athena picking up the belt here. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, She's been great. Yeah. yeah. Samoa Joe, Juice Robinson for the for the TV title. I'm not not looking forward to this match, but I echo everyone's sentiments that I just felt like it, like they have presented this to you as so inconsequential. That's what it feels like. So it's on them to really deliver here, and they very well could. Like Juice Robinson needs a big performance. He had a very disappointing G1. This is a new setting. Uh, hopefully, an audience that's receptive to him, but also one that may not be um, at the same time. So. Yeah, like Tony, I, I believe, had stated something about like Juice possibly going back to New Japan if he won the TV title, I suppose. Like, I, I, I almost wonder if he's almost like sort of this transitional, you know, ROH New Japan talent or even AEW New Japan talent that is he still part of the Bullet cl- Club or what? I mean, a- it sounds like he's signed to AEW. But right, could but, but in be, story, is he still part right, of the Bullet in Club? In story, they could still be, you know, he's a New Japan, you know. He at least has that 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 connection. Uh, Swerve and our glory are back together to take on Shane Taylor and JD Griffey. Um, I actually think this this match will be pr- pretty damn great. I think that uh, Keith Lee and Shane Taylor. Um, I, I think I think they're gonna like go all out in this match. So I'm I'm curious to see this, and they are in in Texas. So I, I think that you know you are gonna have people that are familiar with. Uh, especially with with Keith Lee from his uh from his beginning stages and, and Shane Taylor for for that matter too. So this is one that will be um interesting to see how the crowd takes to it. But I, I think it will be a, a very good match between these two. And the question is how much it's been built up for your national audience to really be into this one. I mean, even if you were watching ROH, I mean, we're years removed from these two teaming together in it- ROH. Right, but it's an introduction to Shane Taylor and JD Griffey, you know, for using Shane Taylor has gotten like those last few years in ROH, like he really upped his his game significantly. Lost a ton of weight, um, you know, 
Mm-hmm. It, he could have just floundered after Keith Lee left, and he did anything but. Yeah, and, and again, these ROH shows are as much I think about you know trying to be, make attractive cards as they are. I think to try to build up a roster and and getting some of these ROH originals back, introducing them with AEW guys is is uh, is, is 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 potentially you know something very beneficial. Um, this is an afternoon show. It's going to start at 4 p.m. Eastern. So that means this is zero hour is going to be 3, 3 p.m. 3. Man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That'll be different. Yeah. I, I don't know how I'm going to watch these shows this weekend. Uh, Dalton Castle and the boys defending the six-man tag titles against Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony. They're back. Mm-hmm. And then we have the double dog collar match that was announced at the end of the show. ROH tag title match between FTR and the Briscoes, which um, I, I think you have two options to close this show. And I I – feel like this dog collar match ending the show would be today. That would be my call, but we will see. Like, certainly they could have their reasons and closing with the title match. You can understand that if Claudio is winning the belt, certainly you could, you could say, I, I just I think imagine fo- wins, following this match, which I just think is probably going to be 30 minutes and everyone's going to bleed buckets. Uh, yeah. Just man, following that is going to be insane. I'm with you. I, I think you win with, with Briscoe's versus FDR. It's like, it's almost like a way to wrap up the year, you know, with it, with a year long story. So, um, I'm picking Briscoe's. I think that if, if you have this deal in place, the Briscoe's getting the win, it makes a lot of sense. And then winter is coming next week. MJF and Starks, Death Triangle against the Elite, match number four, and then the House of Black in action is what has been announced, uh, where they are in Garland, Texas. Main event, the acclaimed and FTR for the tag titles. Uh, Max Casper rapped about FTR standing for find the remote and they're going to lose like Herschel Walker, which got a pretty good reaction here in Texas. He, he lost the Senate, um, elections. Yeah. In the, in the, uh, the Georgia runoff. I, I could imagine that there were some Texans that might, might have been disappointed with that outcome, but not in this Maybe. building. They, they seem to love the line. <laughs> Jarrett, Lethal, and Sutnam Singh were watching in the back, uh, but didn't get involved in any way. Uh, the Acclaimed uh, end up applying double sharpshooters to FTR, who have to break free out of their uh, their idols finisher. FTR then uh, get out, and they catapult Max from underneath the ring, and they take over here. Um, Bowens eventually gets the hot tag and hits an Ushigoroshi onto Dax, and then FTR hit a spike pile driver onto Bowens, and Taz mentions that's how he broke his neck back in the 90s. They try for a double team vertical onto Bowens, but Max comes back spearing cash and then Bowens gets the inside cradle on Dax. And at this point we're going for near falls. And listen, if you want to get into near falls in an AEW main event, you do what I did and you be like two minutes behind the live feed because you're looking at the clock and dude, I'm expecting all of these near falls to be the end because I'm looking at the time, not realizing it's they've actually got three minutes left instead of one. It was like, I think I stumbled upon something like you want to add drama, <laughs> screw up your DVR. Okay. That's the way to do it. Uh, very dramatic ending here way. Cash knocks Bowens off the apron. The power plex is stopped. Bowens hits the arrival. Max misses the mic drop. And then a gory bomb is hit the Bowens and then lights up Max with multiple lariats, a power bomb and cash goes for the jackknife cover, but Max blocks it, hooking the legs and pinning cash in 16 minutes and 42 seconds. Um, th- this was really heated by the end. Again, uh, a huge, um, plus. From this crowd who just really lifted this one up uh, even more. And, you know, the acclaimed have had a really nice run of uh, 
of tag matches over these last couple of months. And I thought that this one, um, they got super hot by the end of it. We're, we're approaching a lot of year endless. And I think the topic of like, you know, best tag team um, is, is going to be uh, like definitely a close race between two teams. I I wonder if for a lot of people, it'll be a close race between three teams. Cause I think you could definitely enter the acclaimed into that conversation. Um, Most improved in- is like the acclaimed are going to be on mm-hmm. the long list. Totally. Um, like from an in-ring perspective, I, you know, they're not on the level of the Usos or FTR, but like as a complete package, you, you can certainly make the argument. But it, to me, like in-ring, um, I mean, the answer, I, I feel they're continuing to, 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 you know, break down a lot of those, um, questions too. Like this was a match that proved to me that, um, they don't just need Swerve in our glory to have like these sort of show stealing matches. Um, Obviously, being in there with FTR is not such a uh, handicap either. Okay, but um, it takes uh, both teams to be, uh, you know, to create something as as great as this match was. I thought Anthony Bowens looked excellent in here, as he always um, continues to to do. Um, Cash, I thought, was fantastic here as well. Great sequences, very good false finishes, and they moved at a speed that I think like was also very impressive for this style of like more technical professional wrestling. Very strong match. Yeah, they they did a great job here. All of them, including FTR scissor after the match. And then the gun club appear on the screen, calling them trash, and reveal a Christmas card. And the card reads it's from them boys calling for a double dog collar match at final battle and the guns say Merry Christmas bitch I thought I mean, sorry but I was just going to say that sometimes like we just just groan at like swerves this to me was the kind of swerve that like all of this has been building up towards the gun club and in the end the payoff is you're not getting this match oh, at the pay-per-view. Yeah. You're getting this match. And I thought this was uh, a great end uh, for the show. I thought, I mean, you know, for, forget FTR. I thought this is the greatest gift they, the gun club gave us. They gave us the gift of the gun club not wrestling at final battle and instead giving us the Briscoe. This was amazing. I mean, I wonder if this was always the plan, honestly. Like, um, I wonder how, like where the Briscoes I have to imagine the Briscoes were always going to be a part of this, but like storyline wise, it, 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 you had no hint of that whatsoever. And I think that, you know, they would have been at least free to tease the Briscoes up until this point, but it was all very much a build form with the gun club versus FTR. Um, and they're instead giving us, I think more the match that people are looking forward to in ring, the match that is definitely more of a pay-per-view draw in, uh, this Briscoes versus FTR match doing it again. Maybe every ROH pay-per-view from this point on will just have FTR versus the Briscoes. <laughs> They'll just keep doing it until yeah. the Briscoes are allowed on television. Um, yes. So there you go. That was dynamite. I, I thought a very good show on, on Wednesday night. And for me, at least like I, I did feel like it, it was uh, paced out a bit better. We did have five matches instead of the usual six. And that promo mm-hmm. segment was to me way more valuable than shoehorning a sixth match. in. that was the most effective segment on the show for me. And you got a really great tag title match, a great TNT title match. I enjoyed the battle Royal. Ricky Starks was probably most people's pick for like um, star of the show. And then your your results may vary when it comes to the handling of Regal and, um, you know, the tag match was all right. The women's match was all right. But 
the 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 latter to me were the standouts on the show and just a great crowd they truly yeah. um came through in the big segments and none bigger than with Ricky Starks that he really felt like a top baby face mm-hmm. i'm i'm almost looking forward to uh rampage just to see more of this austin crowd you know uh i i thought a very good show but between the main event i think the incredible work they did with Ricky Starks in that segment with MJF and also the the the, the battle royal to Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe, you know, which I think, man, I want, I think that that was my match of the night, you know, and I'm having a tough time co- comparing that to, to the main event. I, th- I thought both were tremendous. Um, yeah. Um, you know, some, some maybe iffy, iffiness here and there, but overall a, a very good show. Feedback time. We will take any uh, super chats if you have them, and we have feedback from the forum, uh, which I can kick things off if you'd like, Way. Oh, uh, we actually have a super chat. A couple super chats here. And, uh, first of all, um, John Cena, um, informed us in the chat that Roosh just put out a video teasing Drillistico coming in for final battle. So, um, we'll see if that gets added because zero hour has no matches announced yet. And, uh, it's, it looks, it feels like a relatively thin. Is, is Dragon for, Lee coming back for revenge? Um, after Andrade and Roosh turned on him. Remember? At the Maybe end of that, eventually. That dynamite? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe eventually. So more matches to come, I would imagine, for um, Zero Hour for sure, and then maybe even the, the show proper. But uh, we also have from John Kleinchester, a lot of support from our uh, uh, people from, from the site here. John Kleinchester sends $2, says, Rampage ratings are bad, but could ROH take it? Uh, meaning, you know, could ROH take the 10 o'clock spot on Fridays? Um, I... I wouldn't be doing that. I, I I don't think like an ROH branded show is going to perform better than an AEW branded show. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, it might. Uh, I mean, no, of course, with the caveat that like this is first run ROH programming with your heavies, like a, potentially Chris Jericho, but the Briscoe can't be on. Um, I also sense like you know. Tony Khan already has AEW Rampage established. It's already collecting a certain amount of money for him. He's He bought ROH so that he can have another deal, so that he can make more money on top of what he's already getting with Rampage. So I don't simply think it's about like making ROH, I don't know, like have a home. It's it, it's about making money and significant money off of ROH. Yeah, no, I, I cannot see that happening. Let's go to Jake from the Windy City who says, uh, who sends a $2 super chat. Thank you so much, Jake, for the support. He says, on March 14th, summon Greg from the peg. We must. The most obscure references always come from Jake. Um, yes, we've got, um, AEW announced they're going to be in Winnipeg on March 14th, a Tuesday night edition of Dynamite at the Canada Life Center, which is the main, the main arena in Winnipeg. So, I mean, Winnipeg, you would think would be, on their on their radar for Canada, so they will be going there in March. Yeah, yeah, and which um, is a holiday oh. here in Canada. It is it is waiting day. <laughs> that is correct. It is also my birthday. Everything so shuts I'll, down, so I will be working on my birthday, um, which would be which would be fine. I'm happy to, um, but you know, involvement obviously from Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, you would imagine on the show. Maybe the- yeah, Don Callis. Um, yeah, you know, you have the Winnipeg contingent there for for March. All uh, right. Let's go to Muggin. Who we have more, John? You think we're done? Muggin sends a two seventy nine super chat. Thank you, Muggin. He says Carmelo and Roxanne are my picks to win on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Um, what does I mean, the winner get again? Title, get shot? title shots. So Roxanne, you could. Do, I mean, it's it's essentially you know Carmelo going for the main title or Roxanne doing the rematch with 
uh, Mandy Rose. Those yeah. are possible. Um, yeah. Again, I, I don't I'll have like like a strong feeling on uh, on the match. I think there's multiple ways that that you can go, and it's likely building up for like television matches. You you would assume because it looks like the next special is until February. Again, our friends at Poison Rana, Braden and Davey, will be live right here at postwrestling.com. Sorry, youtube.com slash postwrestling with their uh, NXT deadline post show, as well as on the main postwrestling feed after the event is done. We got a Hansi who sends $7. Thank you so much, Hansi, for the support. He says, if baby faces can cut promos to counter MJF stuff like Starks did, then this reign of terror will be dope. Was this Joe's best match in AEW thus far? It was for me. Um, I'd have to think about that. I don't, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. It was, it was a very good match, but he's had, he's had several good, very good matches, um, since coming in. Yeah. I felt that today was at a different level, but sure. Maybe it's a question you ask me like a month from now, Hansi, if I can remember it. Um, and the last one comes to us via super chat from PM train who says is BBW Morrissey going over, getting over. Um, oh, is he getting over? I think I think he's there. Big Bill, big things for Big Bill in uh, Big Two O Two Three. I I think this push will be big and beautiful. So okay. yeah. Okay. Thank you everyone for the super chats. Always appreciated. We now go over to forum.postwrestling.com. Sal from California. Ricky Starks really impressed me tonight. Watching him go toe to toe on the mic with MGF while his hometown crowd went wild was a great moment. I'm looking forward to the title match next week. Let's go up next to uh well. Muggin, who has his thoughts here on uh, AEW, he says, Ricky Starks' rebuttal to all of Friedman's low-hanging fruit insults were excellent. I thought going in that the Diamond Ring was going to get defended separately since he has the world title. I guess not since it'll be winner-take-all. Does he know that he can't have everything? Did they state that? that it'll no, be winner they take said all? he can cash it in whenever he chooses. Yeah, he just happens to have both opportunities, but he doesn't have to put yeah, them I, both I didn't realize that, that he has to challenge next week. Like They went out of their way to say the winner gets to choose. Right. Uh, he also says Regal's final promo was as good of an exit as uh, that I can ask for. And I hope this JSBCC feud comes to an end at final battle. It has dragged on and on for months. FTR acclaimed was the match of the night. And I love that it was a skin of their teeth victory for them. Top guys and them boys going at it one final time in a dog collar match is going to be worth the price of admission. Well, they, they made it pretty clear on the show tonight. Like this is the end of the BCC Jericho pro- program on, on Saturday. Um, next one up is from Patrick. Thought tonight's show continued a streak of strong dynamites with Chicago last week and now tonight. Incredible promo from Starks, probably his best since joining AEW, and it really made him feel like a main eventer. It was also nice to hear Jamie Hayter get to speak on her own, and setting up Hayter versus Sheeta could be a truly great match to kick off this reign. Thought Joe and Darby was fantastic, but the match of the night is without a doubt the acclaimed and FTR. They tore the house down in what has to be Caster and Bowen's best match of their career. Also, even with the rampage, also with Rampage not having a super thrilling lineup, it's nice to see a continued increase of women's division stuff with Rampage this week, now featuring advertised matches and segments for Athena, Ty Mello, Ruby Soho, Hikaru Shida, and the Bunny. Um, Joe Smo in the chat is saying that the graphics said winner take all. Um, Brian is saying that as well. So I guess he's decided to cash it in during the same match. Okay. All right. So um, I I wonder if that telegraphs MJF keeping the ring for another year. Um, I guess that that's an option that they can go to. 
Okay. Well, thank you guys for that clarification. We go to finally Cody from Maine who says credit where it's due. The crowd tonight in Austin took the show to a different level. Add them to the short list of cities where a hot crowd should be expected. They earn that reputation. That said, I thought AEW responded well to a concerning prior week, not only with this show, but clearly treating Rampage with more respect. And how could it not be a thumbs up show when they hit you over the head with the idea of the BCC JAS feud finally ending? Wow, there's a lot of people happy to see this feud coming to an end, which it appears it will be. All right. Well, thank you, folks, for the feedback, for the super chats, and for staying up late with us on Rewind to Dynamite. Uh, coming up, um, by the way, on Thursday, I'm going to be doing a, an extra chat on the site. I'm going to be joined by our longtime friend, Cody Saftik. He is going to come on to chat about the UFC betting scandal. I thought, Ooh, Here's a, this is a guy who knows... The the MMA wagering game inside and out. So he's going to explain it all to me, and we'll chat a bit about UFC 282 as well. So look out for that on the free feed. And then Friday night, I'm back with Way. Rewind to SmackDown, 11 Eastern, following SmackDown and Rampage. So look out for that. The Kurt Angle birthday celebration happening on Friday. And then Saturday, two post shows here on the site with the NXT Deadline post show with Braden and Davey and Kate and Way with the Final Battle post show. So that one will be on the cafe uh, talking about ROH. That is right. So sign up right now. Postwrestlingcafe.com, $6 through Patreon, $8 through YouTube or free trial through iTunes or sorry, not iTunes. That doesn't exist anymore. Apple podcasts. If you choose to give us a shot, Uh, we do a lot of, a lot of hard work, you know, uh, throughout the site and especially on our Patreon for all of our patrons through all of our platforms. So if you enjoy the stuff, uh, Give us a, a subscribe, or, or if you really like us, then consider signing up. We hope you check it out, postwrestlingcafe.com, and we will speak with you many more times this week. Good night.